Hello. Hello. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. <laughs> we reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. Yes. This week, The Goose Girl by Shannon Hale. Honk. Honk. You mess with the honk, you get the bonk. <laughs> This book was published in 2003. It is one that we had not read before. I figured out why this was Shannon Hill's debut novel and came out in 2003. So I was a sophomore in high school. You were finishing middle school. It was the time in both of our lives when we stopped reading new YA fantasy pretty much. Yeah. So I think we just missed her because she's very prolific. She has written a ton of books. Yeah, the Princess Academy series is like hugely popular. Have you heard of it before? Those are her books. Uh, it sounds familiar. And there are actually two other books written with the characters of Bayern. Um, one about Anna and one about Razzo. Okay. Um, one of the other workers. In this and, uh, grim, dark universe for youths. <laughs> In a place where it's bad to be a kid from the forest. Yeah. Um, this book is one that we decided to check out because it came heartily recommended by many different les- listeners. I want to shout out Isabel, Dury, and Lexi. And Dury in particular said that there is a horse character to die for in this book. Oh, and I, uh, brutal. Oh, Lada. <laughs> oh my God. I, agree more. I have I trauma. Be, I am haunted. Yeah, I'm actively haunted. I was straight up reliving my cat animal's death when I was oh, reading geez. that portion. So, yeah, lots lots to discuss. Not Ultimately, that I'm saying I, I regret it. Uh, this yeah. book was amazing. Yeah, I exactly. Really, really enjoyed it. Exactly. Yeah, I, yeah, I think it's really special. And um, it's just it a lot. Was, it was more complex than I expected initially. Yeah, yeah you know. for sure. I thought it was going to be more straightforward than it ended up just kind of wheeling off into this whole <laughs> this whole deal. <laughs> then the wind magic comes to yeah. play and <laughs> suddenly we're discovering inner powers yeah. and uh, making hats fall off <laughs> and uh, falling in love. So we do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover. If you haven't read this before or haven't revisited it in a while, hop on your horse or your goose and scamper along and check it out. First up, we will discuss how the publisher chose to package and promote this book. Madeline? I think this cover by Allison J is pretty cool. Um, I don't know if I would have been into it when I was a kid because I liked more like mm-hmm. traditional, not necessarily like this uh, more simplistic classical look, but I think it's really cool as an adult. Um, I really like the artistic style. There's like these um, kind of stylized tree puffs. Uh, we yeah. can see the the castle in the background and then there's a, a winding path coming from it. There's a long horse <laughs> galloping the longest horse very long horse um we can see kind of rolling hillsides uh and then that's all in the background and in the foreground we have um our heroine and uh, all of the pretty white geese who are all like they're the geese are illustrated in a very pleasing way i think 
they um, look they're very like <laughs> what no i was just i was just reflecting on the fact that like the geese really leave the book after the second act. I was like, I haven't. They do. I forgot the geese. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The they geese. they kind of served their purpose. <laughs> <laughs> That's well, okay. We'll, we'll I don't think they want to be in the center of the story. The yeah. That's well, not their I deal. Agree. The the cover it looks pretty serious. Um, yeah, I think that's part of the reason I also age I was at it could have scared me off. Yeah, and it doesn't read fantasy immediately. There is a castle in it, but it almost also looks like true. this could be set in contemporary like Germany, right? Or England. Yeah, um, yeah. What I do really like is the false aged effect of the art. Yes, as if it's a that painting. looks pretty cool. That has crackled. Um, that really adds a lot to it and gives you a better idea that this is there's some mystery, some magic, something a little deeper here. That but is, yeah, I like I like the art a lot, and that is a good point because I listened to the audiobook and didn't really see this cover, and I'm like looking at mm. it now. So I'm looking mm-hmm. at it in the context of having mm-hmm. already read the book and knowing that it's For fantasy sure. and everything that happens, as opposed to if I hadn't, yeah, I would yeah. assume that this is um, some like Anne of Green Gables type <laughs> media. Yeah. It, it could, it could be, yeah, yeah, it absolutely could be. And flowing hair, a sun hat, you know, yeah, her hair is just like plastered against that tree trunk. <laughs> I, I do appreciate that. I think the wind yeah, is Yeah, the wind play. is really going. Because oh. <laughs> every time she calls the wind, it just blows her okay, hair into the blasts. most incredible fiery concoction. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think a good cover. I think it looks very nice. Uh, but yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily a great match for the book. So we typically do a slightly more involved summary for our books, just breaking down the different plot beats, but we're actually going to do something much more streamlined for The Goose Girl because it very closely follows the original Brothers Grimm Goose Girl fairy tale. Um, It's incredibly faithful, actually. Yeah. And that fairy tale um, is from the 1800s. It's pretty straightforward. It's, you know, this is a story where we have your basic princess's identity is stolen by a lady in waiting, a princess is lost and essentially exiled and then has to through subterfuge and her own strength find a way to reclaim her throne. Okay. And that's what happens in this book. The main character's name is Annie, which is short for a much longer, very princessy name. And she is meant to marry the prince of a neighboring kingdom as a tactical... Mm relationship between the kingdom's decision to help prevent war from breaking out yeah it's it's a foreign policy marriage thank you yes it's a foreign (laughs) policy marriage but on her way there the group she's with overthrows her usurps usurps her (laughs) and her lady-in-waiting pretends to be the princess so she works as a goose girl in the palace grounds and along the way finds her own inner strength because she's been really nervous about how to be a princess. She's not strong like her mom, her mean, mean mom. And she gets to be around like the natural world now, which plays to her strengths instead of like not being allowed to interact with it. 
Yep, as a child she could speak to birds, but her mom didn't want to encourage any kind of witchery, so she was increasingly imprisoned within the palace. Yeah. And now she gets to talk to geese all the time. Yeah, yeah. That's, so that made me happy. she realizes she has wind powers as well and learns to control the wind and she uses these strengths and her friendship the greatest strength of all (laughs) with the other workers in the like workers quarters where they all live within the palace walls to overthrow celia her lady-in-waiting the false princess and marry big old meanie the marry the prince who she also secretly was in love with because he pretended to be a guard who would yeah. hang out in the goose fields. <laughs> so that's convenient. And they prevent war. And everybody goes home happy, except for Celia, who's going to be rolled around in a barrel full of spikes. Yep. Off screen, but I mean, <laughs> I, that's fine. I don't even care if that happens to her. <laughs> She also has the coolest, best horse in the world that she had a bond with from birth, who is murdered and hung on a wall by the goose pen. Horribly. It's and it's I wild. Think that's everything we need to know yes. to facilitate this conversation. Yeah. Of course, we'll touch on more plot points as we discuss our new and new impressions, because we haven't read this book before. We have not. Would you like to, would you like to go first or shall I? Um, yeah, I can go first. Uh this book definitely took a lot of emotional energy. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. This is one of the more violent books that we've covered, I would say. And it was just- Interestingly, this is also a secret Mormon book. It's written by a Mormon woman. Oh, interesting. Just like... Uh, what was what's it called? The um, Wishing Moon. Wishing Moon. Yeah, thank you. Just yeah. like the Wishing Moon by Mike Low Tunnel, which we covered a few months ago. Yeah, um, definitely like a really good story. There's just there's just so much suffering, and it was just so yeah. sad um, because of everything that happens to the main character, and like, and also like the deep darkness of the lack of a sense of self, which is really yeah, frightening. yeah. No, exactly. Um, just being like purposefully dissuaded from like getting into the things that your spirit wants to be. And so like you, what you are is the absence of what you want to be rather than a whole person. And that, that was just like very frightening. Um, For sure. But also made me feel lucky that I do live in an environment where I get to be myself um, made me think about how much I value that. Yeah. And by the end, it, it was very happy that like everything ended on a very positive note, but it was still just kind of like, oh, like I was reeling <laughs> because it's so dire right up until yeah. like everything's fine. Um, so that, There's that such was a feeling of being hunted throughout the book as well. It's yeah. Very strong. Yeah. Always like you're always stressed and, out for like, uh, something bad that's going to happen. Um, yeah. The reader can't even enjoy the like cute fun festival day at the market. I know the whole time I was just like, like, Oh my oh, God. Well, <laughs> terrible idea. Why did you come to kill you? Yeah. It, <laughs> um, but I did still enjoy it a lot. Like I, mm-hmm. I definitely am happy that I engaged with it. Uh, the relationships between um, different creatures 
like I always love that seeing how yeah. the animal language or mannerisms like translate into humans being able to communicate sure. with them. Mm-hmm. Like there's like some the specifics like, of the language. Yeah, yeah, and how it's not all language. Like a lot yep. of it, it's like body language and mm-hmm. just different things that you can do that aren't necessarily human language, like straightforward. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so the sense of like connectedness with the natural world, I really, really liked. Yeah. Um, as she got to like develop those powers, that was really cool. Um, the the Falada storyline just messed me up. I yeah. like that was brutal. Um, that like yeah. Falada goes crazy and then they kill him. And like the last thing that she like had from him was like her being afraid and running away and just like yeah oh and then they take his head and nail it above where she lives interestingly that is specifically from the brothers Grimm story and in the story she asks for that she asks for his head to be put there so I think it's it feels to me like a really funny kind of meta commentary where Shannon Hill's like I have to include this plot point but it's horrific so I'm gonna make her be horrified and she did this isn't what she wanted yeah so I'm going to include that the the realization that this is not something that anyone would ever actually one because the head talks to her right in but the fairy like, tale which is important like the right. the air i don't know the power that she gets from it still but it's yeah. just like really horrifying that it was done at all um but there's all i don't know there's also some cool stuff about it like when that it happened, feels I was a little like, bit Whoa. like celtic or I'm, something Totally. And it's pretty um, bold for a YA author to do something like I know. That. I also thought that. I was like, um, that is some, some really intense stuff right there. Not only did you kill the beloved talking horse, <laughs> you also put its head on a wall outside her workplace. To rot. <laughs> and interestingly... Um, in reading about other adaptations of the old Goose Girl tale, um, there was a note that many modern adaptations either um, change what happens to Falada or like spare Falada completely, and Falada is totally fine. Falada just die, gets to hang out. If if I were doing a rewrite, that's pr- I would just make Falada like hang around in the woods and be really happy and come say hi. Yeah, because well, like of course. Celia would have to dispense with him. The second that he and Annie saw each other, it would be so obvious that she was connected to the royal steed. Is yeah. it Annie or Annie? I mean, uh, they said Annie in the audio. I'm sure the they said Annie. 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 Yeah. yeah. Okay, I'll try to say Annie. I'm sorry. I know I've also said Annie. I don't think um, it's that important. Books are books. I wish they all came with pronunciation guides, but they don't. Yeah. If I wrote a book with imaginary people, I don't know yes. if, if you're and listening and you're writing that, that book. And I love it when they do that. It's yeah. really great. Big fan. It's really great. Yeah. yeah. And talking about my new impressions, um, I thought this book was, like I said, really interesting. It's more of a faithful take on a fairy tale than I feel like we typically cover. Yeah, like um, because it's so brutal. Like right. folk fairy tales really have that element in them. Yeah, really dark. There's not a lot of outs. <laughs> They're from a you, scarier, like more primal place, right? For sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, they are. Yeah. And were written during a time when things were unknown in many capacities and you know you were just trying to get through life day to day without like chopping your own head off accidentally (laughs) or more likely getting some sort of plague which is a problem we deal with today as well yeah like hard manual labor and uh, you probably won't live very long and if you get a medical problem that a hedge goodbye can't resolve (laughs) then you will die (laughs) Um, um so i did i was curious about why Shannon Hill decided to adapt it because I think this is pretty different from the types of fairy tales that are typically in YA form. Yeah, Um, it it felt different. (laughs) Yeah, and and I liked that. I thought that was cool. Yeah, it, it reminded me of some of the books we've covered that are sort of their own fairy tales, like Treasure at the Heart of the Tanglewood, I actually thought of quite a bit, mm. um, where there's I like actually a did woman think of it too. Yeah. Own. Cool. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm glad to know I wasn't um, yeah. totally off base with that. Uh, but like a woman with confusing powers on her own who's being like fed lies and there's like a false reality constructed around her. Mm-hmm. And it it reads like a new fairy tale that you just haven't heard before. But it also has a lot of elements of like um, Mother Earth and other like mm-hmm. sacred forces within the wood that are in a lot of long running traditions. Yeah. Um, so Shannon Hill uh, wanted to write this story because it was her favorite when she was a kid. Okay. Um, and she really liked how weird it was and also how short it was. And she had a lot of questions about how she learned to command the wind and why she just let her lady-in-waiting steal her identity. And I think... Knowing that really helps you understand why the first third of the book is so, we're we're with a girl who is so afraid of being a human. Um, And I think there's a lot of good narrative building that makes that make sense. Um, We see a girl who is abused by her mother sort of like implicated in the death of her father, even just emotionally yeah. in a very traumatic way. When she's young, she has no allies. Her natural instincts have all been fiercely stamped down yeah. whenever they come up. Her aunt who helped her like unlock some of her inner potential just was dies. like sent away to die yeah. in the woods. <laughs> um Yeah, there's all these reasons why she is so trapped inside her own mind and can't put thought to action. Yeah. Um, And that makes the fairy tale make a lot more sense because she really just does say like, okay, you, I promise I won't do anything. Like you take the crown. Because she's Um, like brutally traumatized and like, you know, her spirit is just kind of broken. Like she even says at one point, like she felt like a broken mare. Yeah. Oh, God. It's very sad. Brutal. So she said that she was also inspired by Beauty by Robin McKinley, which is another fairly faithful adaptation, but also 
Robin McKinley did a lot more with that story in terms of introducing new elements than I feel that Shannon Hill did with this. Um, We'll also, if you want to read The Goose Girl, um, there is a version of it on Shannon Hill's website that we'll link on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. Then the other thing I just want to mention about her inspiration is that she did want to make the setting of the tale feel really similar to, like we were talking about that, like, darker, wilder, earlier period of humanity. So she didn't want to get too specific and also didn't want to get too modern. Um, So she based Bayern loosely on old-timey Germany um, Uh, because that's where the brothers Grimm are from. Okay. Um, So she tried to create like a somewhat familiar but then also fantastical feeling world. And I think she did a really good job. I loved the way that characters who were used to one environment like the forest um, would be uh, would feel really out of place in the cities. The soldiers from Kildenry would see things in the woods and think that people were following them. And they're probably yeah. also being haunted by their own guilty consciences because mm-hmm. they're preparing to overthrow the princess and kill all her guards. Um, and the book had a great map at the front. And you know I love a book map. That is a great map. <laughs> yeah, very Tolkien. And uh, I, it always just gets me excited, especially... This one has, and I'll put pictures of this on our website too, here, Mads. It has um, little annotated sections showing like Ani's journey and stuff like that. yeah. Um, I love the little trees on the map. That's always super cute. I know. Yeah, it's it's great. Book maps for Preston. (laughs) They do a better job. Yeah, I vote for them. (laughs) They always know where they're going. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so it was interesting to learn about some of those inspirations because I do think she was really successful in creating a very fleshed out and involved version of a very old and relatively, I wouldn't call it simple, but like relatively straightforward story yeah. structure. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it I has thought a the world building was good. Head. Like, it's not simple. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> but it is more predictable in its plot points. Yeah. So let's let's go into magic systems, which okay. we haven't really explicitly done for a few episodes. I really liked the way that Ani's discovery of her powers was written. I think that, that all was interesting. too often in coming-of-age fantasy books where we have a character who has some kind of latent magical ability, it's just a lot of like tingling <laughs> like um tingling i spider sense tingling my spider sense <laughs> i accidentally caught this on fire like i accidentally made that water flow out of that pool yeah and like i'm not dissing books that do that i mean tamara pierce's books like always do. yeah and <laughs> but, I, and I, I love, love them the way that she does it <laughs> and i love them yeah. like, but she's also a great fantasy writer and i think less talented ones it just like ends up feeling pretty repetitive it's, it's really boring. hard to write about magic and about the intangible. Um, and I thought the way that Ani's was written as whenever she's in a very dangerous or pressing crucial moment, she feels that there's a capacity to do more. Yeah. But she doesn't Potential. understand what that means. Mm-hmm. But it's like so powerful, that feeling that she is driven to distraction by it, even while her life is at risk. Yeah. Um, I thought that was really smart and yeah, different. Yeah, you're right. 
I really thought it was interesting too how there's different social acceptance put into different types of magic, mm. whereas nature magic is seen as something that's like witchy and scary. And when people see Ani doing her stuff, they're like, she talks to geese, she makes the wind do things. I don't like that. Yeah. But Celia and Ani's mom, who is queen, and a lot of other people who are in positions of power, it seems, have a different innate magical ability that's called the the power of um what what is it? It's like the speech sp- making speech, or- speech making. Speech um, making oh, speechcraft. People speaking. People speaking. <laughs> speech making. So Celia and the Queen and people with people speaking. I can't tell if it's just accepted or if like no one cares, but you'd think it would be I've, I something feel like that people would watch for with the royalty and also with people close to them. It seems very dangerous. I, I think that it's as natural of a kind of magic, but because it benefits people in power, yeah. it's not seen as like that kind of thing. It's not really seen as magic. It's just like it's like how they are. to charisma. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Versus um, even though it literally makes your head fog and like makes you unable to continue along a logical path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and I, I think it's interesting because that's definitely more of a um male sphere power. Versus the nature yeah. magic is much more female sphere, which also makes a lot of sense about why the nature magic is disparaged and looked down upon. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's seen as, it's definitely seen as womanly. Like mm-hmm. everyone is all about like, witch, witch, witch. You know, there's never yeah. any talk of like wizards or sorcerers, magicians, things like that. Yeah. Um, and it's definitely seen as inadequate. Um, and people speaking is just like a cool, like hot guy. I think party trick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Which is, which is like, so that just makes total sense to me. Yeah, right. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so I thought that that was interesting too. And I did like the way that it was explored. It would, it would have been cool if there was some discussion of like why people speaking is just, um, so accepted or like not discussed, but it also seems like most people can't recognize it. And there are just certain people who are more connected who have that capacity. I mean, it's, it's like a cultural thing, right? Yeah. Like we, we believe all kinds of stuff about different structures Mm -hmm. and phenomena within our universe that is like absolutely not correct. I wondered at first if it was going to culminate in some kind of like, you're the long lost witch of the wind or some sort of specific position. You're the Neo. (laughs) Neo. Especially with her aunt at the beginning and the way her aunt was talking about in the beginning, people were more connected to the elemental powers. Do you remember yes. that? Mm-hmm. Um, and the old ways or whatever. You know, the old magics, the ancestors mm-hmm. that came before us, they were more connected to the earth, which is also yeah. like a very, um, uh, it's a narrative that's very sunk into all of our storytelling. Yes, absolutely. Um and yeah, but then I, but then I, I didn't want that to happen. I yeah. wanted her to be her own human and not have to this, predictable. 
Yeah, and not have this clear-cut role that she would just be, like, stepping into, but let her be her, because that's the whole thesis of the book. Like, she's learning how to be herself yeah. and how to actually embrace that. Um, so I really like that that didn't happen. And then I... And, and now she's a witch princess, which yeah, is Yeah, now cool. she gets to be what she wants. Like, Garrick <laughs> is clearly, like, totally over the moon for her. Like, she yeah. is going to support her in being who she wants to be. Like, that's why it's just wild how good of a spot she ends up in for how much suffering there is in the book. And it's, like I said, it's pretty sudden where it's suddenly like, oh, it turns out the nice young man that she's in love with is the prince. He loves her. He is going to, like, every everyone that threatened her is gone and dead, and it's, yeah. it's all just great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they all get murdered <laughs> together yeah. in the throne room when... It, Ungolad, Ungolad. I don't know. Ungolad is what they said. Ungolad, who is such a funny villain. (laughs) I do. I do have to say, I was here for the uh, scene of comeuppance because I knew that that's what was happening. Um, Like there was no way that he just stupidly was like, "Oh, I'm let them figure out." Like I'm sure this will be totally fine and so dumb. And then, well, like, I knew that they were listening. So as soon as they popped out, and I was just like, "Yes, suffer, you evil men!" <laughs> I know. I was very excited when they came out from behind the tapestry. Yeah. I wish we would have had some kind of, I don't know, mention a mention earlier in the book of like the king has ways of like knowing what goes on in his throne right, room, as or, like, opposed something to just feel like, "Oh, there's a passage back it here." It did feel a little. <laughs> bit like an act of God moment um, yeah, and uh, just like everything perfectly coming together. Um, but I loved that the villains got to do their full villainous, I'll ki- I'm going to kill you, but not before I rehash my entire evil plan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's monologuing. <laughs> um, and it, so yeah, that the it, king and the prince could hear it. it yeah, it, and that just always... It's a nice kind of like neat tie off because the literal monarch just heard you completely confess to all of your treason. Like you're done. There's no getting out of this. There is no lawyer who can save you. (laughs) Right. I I also had thought that um, Ani would speak up and say, yeah, Celia named the treason punishment, but she lied. Like the actual treason punishment in Kilden Re is banishment. That, no, I'm glad that she just kind of like, yeah, whatever. And she's <laughs> just like, I don't know. She was talking about a barrel full of nails. Yeah, like, we have to do that. She's. Like, I don't feel bad for her. By a horse. What you say? I, I don't feel bad for Celia because uh, that when you curse someone. It comes back upon you. That's very core tenet of of magic. And it did so fast. (laughs) Yeah, she didn't even get to be a princess. Didn't even get married. I did think it was really funny that the little boy, the younger prince, (laughs) kept being at events. She was like, oh my God, he's getting married at like 11? Okay. (laughs) He's just kind of like around being frightened (laughs) the whole time. (laughs) And the scenes where she's like looking at him with Celia being like, 
Okay. <laughs> this makes me uncomfortable. Although in hindsight, it's especially funny because that's the point where she's first falling in love with Garrick and she's like, well, Celia may be princess, but she has to marry a little boy and I am with a man. It's like, no, she <laughs> is meant to marry him actually. Yeah. yeah. And his, uh, his subterfuge is funny too. Like it's very clear that he's also figuring himself out. Yeah. Um, I did, you know, segueing now into romantic realism. I did like their relationship. Me too. Um, the yeah. sweet days so whiling sweet. away the hours in yeah. the goose pasture. Which that the Mormon thing makes sense because I was <laughs> like, wow, these these people are clearly smitten with each other and they're just like being so chased. Yeah, well, I mean, she's a lady underneath it all. Which, but, right, she's a princess and he's a prince, so I'd like, of course, they were actually going to do the stuff. But I mean, like... I still, though, like, I expected more to happen between them physically, especially because it's not a book without the mention of sex. Right. And also, sexual violence is threatened a lot yeah, in the book. a lot. Like, a lot. pretty frequently... Um, yeah, a little more than I expected. It's used as a way to characterize the guard that went with Celia. I don't know. <laughs> it's not something I like reading. No, it makes me it's really like, uncomfortable. Oh, all of her guards want to violate Ani and keep telling her that. It's, it's just like, do we need to do that? Yeah, I've. I yeah. think we put like this is way why too I much stopped of that. watching Game of Thrones midway through. Yeah, show. that's why I've stopped engaging yeah. with a lot of different types of yeah. media that I initially enjoyed. Is I just like don't want to deal with sexual violence as a core tenant. Like, yeah. I don't think we need to be putting more of that trauma out into the world because, like, there's and it's, I don't like it as characterization. Right, exactly. Like, it just like it's. I don't like it when it's used for plot. I don't like it when it's just like yeah. happening off to the side and it's not used for plot. Like I just don't like it. I, yeah. Same. Two thumbs down from Madeline on <laughs> sexual violence. <laughs> okay. So then the other primary relationship of the book is between Ungolad and Celia. Yeah. And the reason why I said I feel like he's a funny villain is his appearance is really funny. The fact that there's like a, I don't know, I guess I liked the tension between a big burly warrior and then constantly talking about his beautiful yellow long braids. Yeah. <laughs> and he like uses them in menacing ways. Like he hits Sonny with one of them. And then, like, tickles her with it. And, like, in the moment, of course, that's really frightening. <laughs> but he's totally an anime villain. Like, suddenly you have the still of him, like, making kissy lips with little sparkles and chimes. Like. Yeah, all of Celia's guard are pretty obsessed with her. They're also all, like, cartoony villains who, yeah. as we said, want to assault. Um, They're real bad. Yeah, yeah and not, her whole, like, it's just such I a funny... one of them would at least, like, defect or... I don't know. I, I It was just funny how extreme they were. How, like... They didn't have entire, any, like, good qualities. Nothing. nothing. It's like, they're gross. They want to kill. They're always looking for Ani. They have no other goals. They're just, life. like, back alley henchmen who are yeah. evil. Yeah, whereas, of course, her guards are noble and honorable. Yeah. And I, I do like... 
Talone. I don't know how to say his name either. That um, sounds familiar. And it Talone. made me really, really happy when Ani got to see him in the forest and realized he was alive because that was one of the first like moments of joy that had happened in a really long time yes. at that yes, point. Yes, I was relieved. I was like, oh, the dude is alive. Like she <laughs> has a friend. She has an ally. <laughs> so that was good. <laughs> Thank goodness. Okay, so I think now we need to begin what's going to be a massive action-packed segment for this episode. Animals? Animals. Just like animals Animals. in this book? Animals in this book. (laughs) So we got a lot of important babes to talk about. Um, So Falada is a horse. He gave Ani his true name when he was born. She was there for his birth because she had learned that if you're there when a horse is born and they tell you their true name, you can speak to them telepathically. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes. It's it's like in wild magic. Yeah, exactly. And since she already has a knack for speaking to birds, she thinks that horses are something that she wants to work on. But horses are much more difficult to talk to. Yeah. (laughs) Unlike chickens, who at one point um, someone asks, the woman in the forest asks Ani what the chickens are saying. And she's like, oh, you know, oh, she's coming to get the eggs, stuff like that. They're not great conversations. (laughs) (laughs) But since horses are more complex, you have to have their name. Um, And she ingratiates herself with the stable folks just so that she can be there for that moment. And Falada is her truest companion when she has no one else. And her mom doesn't know that she can talk to him because when she talks to the geese, it's pretty obvious, you know, (laughs) or the swans. I'm sorry. She starts out talking to swans and she has to like honk at them and stuff. So that is discouraged. But when you're talking to a horse with your mind, nobody knows what you're doing. And the horse is not like telling. Yeah, exactly. Um, and she relies on Falada for not just companionship, but like he helps warn her when things don't feel right. And he tries to give her vague warnings about her traveling party as they're going to Bayern. Yeah. And they are separated during the scuffle when the guards start attacking, um, when Celia's guards start attacking the loyal guards. And she learns later that he is being kept at the palace, but that he has gone mad. And she tries to tame him, talk to him, just be with him. And he kicks her and his mind is gone. And she later learns from Celia that Ungalad made him like more mad, which just, I mean, horse torture isn't something I want to think about ever. Um, and, uh, I read Black Beauty. <laughs> that book messed me up. my own form of horse torture. <laughs> There's so much brutal stuff happens to horses in that book. I know. Um, and she doesn't see him again until she goes to the, the horse butcher, fun job, and <laughs> asks that he if there's anything she can do for him to be spared and he's already dead. Yeah. And she sees like his dismembered pieces and she asks the horse butcher <laughs> to give him a proper burial. 
and in, in exchange for one of her last pieces of wealth, a ring. And he interprets that to mean stuffing Falada's head and hanging it on the wall. Because he's like a Viking or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's up with that guy, um, but he does that. And she is rightfully horrified by it. We already talked about this a bit, but I also like that it becomes a symbol of strength because it talks to her and it calls her princess. And that horse head, Falada, helps remind her who she actually is. And she really uses him as a source, like a signpost connecting her to her actual life. Yeah, yeah. Um, So that was interesting. So, Uh, you know... Silver lining. (laughs) And uh, God, I mean, I guess that's probably what the nobles would want their horses' heads to like. Yeah, I I figured it was like a local custom thing that she just wasn't familiar with. And Bayern as a whole is an interesting place and very different from Kildenry. Um, There's a lot of brutality and there's a lot more emphasis, emphasis on capital punishment and the potential for war. Um, the previous king had been, or two previous kings, I think, had been very invested in expanding his kingdom. Um, And now I think it sounds like some people there are feeling like they're too soft and they want more. Um, And that's the war that Ani helps avert because Celia stokes it just so that she can do better at pretending to be Ani. Yeah, Celia is so evil. All the Kildenrenians or whatever will be killed. Um, And I think one thing I did really like about Ani becoming princess, because in these books, there is always the problem of like, okay, so you lived with the, you know, working class for a few months. You Mm -hmm. see all the issues in this town. There's also so much, um, there's so much segregation in that people who come from the forest are not allowed to become like adults of the kingdom the men can't get their javelins they can't have they can't have like citizenship status basically right yeah there are certain places they can't go inside they can't they can never yeah like own anything like they can't do anything other than be in the forest and the people in the forest live in poverty it's a very Um, classist society It is. And it almost felt like there was a racial element because the people of the forest have black hair and that's commented on a lot. But then the people of Bayern also, it says that they have dark hair and the people from Kildenry have blonde hair. Right. Um, And if it's set in Germany, I mean, everyone's white. Um, Right. Yeah. Probably. But But, but uh, like the concept of whiteness is is different. Mm -hmm. It is, yeah. If you're talking about whiteness, meaning like the uh, ruling race, basically. For sure. And I understand why this was in the book that um, Ani's hair was such a point of focus. But I also don't love like the really white girl being the one that's like the most beautiful. And the like look that everyone's commenting on. and right everything's really emphasized around her yellow hair. So that's just something just something to reflect on when thinking about a blonde princess who saves everybody. Yeah. Falada is fun because he's not like 
I mean, he's a really nice horse, but he's not a remarkable horse. Like he is just the horse that she's connected with. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He's not like Talad, for example, who is like a special elevated being. He's just like a normal horse. And I like to hear what a normal horse is saying. Yeah, he's he's just, you know, that's fine that he's just doing it up himself. Yeah, but his loss is as tragic as our taxes. (laughs) The never-ending story. It's true. Um, Yeah. And it really, like, if I had read this when I was at a certain age, I I think it could have really messed me up. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And as I said, reading it at this certain age, 34, having lost my beloved 15-year-old cat six months ago. Today is the six-month anniversary of her death, actually. Um, It was hard to read that. Yeah. (laughs) I really struggled and was thinking about her. Um, but now I have two kittens. Yes, so Grace got two kittens yesterday. Life's up and up. <laughs> and now we've mentioned cats, but the other animals we need to talk about here are the geese. There are geese in this book. There are geese. They are... Um, like the other animals, normal geese, you know, they don't yeah. have special stuff going on. Geese, geese are just ordinarily very mean. They bruise. <sighs> Poor Ani is so messed up after her first week of working with the geese because it takes her a while to figure out how to talk to them. And in particular, she has one special goose, Jocko. <laughs> Joko. I don't know how to say it. I don't remember. Jaco. Um, who uh, she... Uh, connects with and (laughs) he starts like sleeping with her and following her around and who doesn't want that um so I was a little bit jealous and I will admit that I went uh on a hike this week um I've been trying to find places that aren't sunny here in central Pennsylvania because we are deep in that heat wave that is hitting so much of the U.S. right now. Hope everybody's staying safe and cool. Seattle's getting um, it this week. And so in order for me to exercise, I have to be in 96 to 97 degree heat. But I found a really nice forest and preserve um, about a 20-minute drive from me. So I was there. I always have my walk. It was great. There were signs everywhere warning me about bears, which was stressful. Oh, really? <laughs> but... Black bears. Uh. Yeah. Um, But there were tons of beautiful butterflies and birds. And I was really feeling the goose girl fantasy and trying to like communicate with folks. And then as I came to the end, there was a flock of geese, some Canadian geese and some white geese, just like the ones in the book, which you so rarely see. Yeah. I never see them unless it's like a farm. (laughs) I got really excited and I tried to go over to (laughs) Oh my God. That's how you get rabies. And I have a little video that I'll put on our Instagram <laughs> at Dragon Babies Podcast um, of me asking them to talk to me and they just turned and fled. <laughs> they didn't e- they didn't even try to engage in the slightest. Oh. Like usually they'll be a little like flapping and honking. They just absolutely ran away from me. And you then would- as I turned, there was a runner going behind me who was like <laughs> Okay, what's happening? This lady's just <laughs> freaking the geese out. <laughs> but how great would it be to talk to a goose? I uh, regularly... What bird would you pick if you could pick one bird? <laughs> obviously crows. 
<laughs> Have you heard that in the next set of emojis, there's going to be a crow emoji? Yes, finally. And also, also a goose emoji. Great, great. Okay, <laughs> at least we have emojis. Really would have been better for our purposes if they were out now, but yeah, it's okay. That's true. That I'm is ex- true. We could use I'm a lot of I'm very excited to goose you and crow you. <laughs> Um, but I, people catch me talking to crows all the time. I talk to the crows in Russian. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And if I'm ever like, I miss walking. <laughs> I used to walk Madeline's dog once a week and yeah. pick and I would have such a great time. And I have full fledged conversations with her and like comment to her on things and people are always passing and you know. It's okay. Like, yeah. I've come to terms with the fact that I, I do talk to myself and animals in public a lot, and that's fine. And I also mouth along to my song lyrics on my headphones. Me too. And I also don't give a crap about, about that anymore Me either, too. which is great. It's <laughs> sort of freeing being in a tiny town, truly in the middle of nowhere, in a part of the country I have never lived in because nobody knows who I am. Mm. Um, unfortunately, my husband and I are pretty recognizable as a duo and he yeah. works at the he works at the medical center so when the two of us are together like we're very obvious people are constantly being like oops saw you outside the grocery store yesterday yeah um Yikes. but when i'm by myself and i have on my baseball cap and sunglasses people don't know who i am they don't they're like just like oh the weird woman who like rides her bike on the streets that we don't expect to see bikes on um and it's fine uh so yeah. If I'm going to start talking to geese, this is the place. Hence my attempt. (laughs) Excellent. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for listening. Um, But I I liked how realistic her process with the geese was. That's that's my major takeaway. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. She is bruised as all get out. Yeah. Geese. A lot of wounds in this book. A lot. There's a lot of when Ungolad knees her scar from where you stabbed her. I felt that. Yeah. Yeah. It was well described. So really amazing animals. This is a tough book. This would have the like a dog dies in this book note on it or whatever. You know, people have those for movies. There are like there's like a directory uh, of if a dog dies in it. That's so that good. You can I get and avoid like it. I like a lot of horror stuff, and I just yeah. don't like it when they have animal violence I in know. it. Like Same. I, you can do the violence to people all day, but don't don't you do animal violence in my movies i will throw up unless the animals are inflicting the violence like give right me some exactly pet cemetery, i'm fine with that give me some yeah. um cujo I yeah can do that. yeah <laughs> okay wow um so shall we to the pretend food, pretend food. We have an interesting mixture of courtly food and then peasant food, travel food, and food at home. There's lots of food in this book. There's a lot of good food. I really liked it. Um, It was well-rounded and interesting and sprinkled through in a way that I really appreciated. I can always tell when authors, one, are thinking about the food and two, are thinking about the clothes. Um, And Shannon Hale was doing both. We got gorgeous descriptions of the colorful um, dyed wool that uh, would make the garments from the forest and the beautiful dresses that Celia had taken that were intended to be Ani's. Um, Yeah, I appreciated the attention of fashion detail. 
like I said before, the world building is just very good, and she's mm-hmm. she's really good at including details about the the food and the fashion, which is mm-hmm. a really important part of making it feel like a concrete place. Because mm-hmm. if you can't see it, like it's not visual media, like they have to give you the enough details for you to make your own uh, image in your mind. That's what reading yeah. is. <laughs> <laughs> I love that it's taken us almost a hundred episodes. To catch that. <laughs> oh boy! But yes, that's right. <laughs> Um, so some, some foods of note, uh, and then we'll talk about my favorite food place in the book, which you can probably guess. Yeah. Um, so Finn, the son of the woman in the forest, Gilsa, I finally remembered her name. Um, he has a seed cake and he uses that to like great effect to convince other people to help them, even though they're suspicious of Ani, but they're like... Gilsa seed cake, yeah. I gotta have it. Yeah. And I love a cake with that kind of pull. It's basically currency. Main character cake, if you will. We get Ani starting to realize that she isn't in Kansas anymore when she's adjusting to her servant laborer life. Yeah. Um, when she is getting to breakfast at her new job, um, which is the uh, dining quarters for all of the castle laborers. Mm -hmm. Um, And she said her mind was filling with thoughts of breakfast foods, molasses rolls, cooked apples, boiled eggs with cheese, nut breads, fresh sausages. And then what she actually (laughs) eats... A bowl of cold bean soup. <laughs> cold bean of, soup. <laughs> and a tall glass of water. Probably um, not much yeah, salt. And she's, she specifically says that she wished she had saved some of the water because she was so thirsty she drank it right away to help ease down the soup. So it's like that kind of Jeez. soup. <laughs> Wild. Which sounds pretty rough. But where she's eating that soup is the uh, um, laborers' dining quarters, which, as I mentioned... It's a really joyful place, and yeah. that's where she really learns how to make friends. For they the have first a really time. good community with each other. They have fun together in what little ways they can. They're fed, if not well, at least nourishingly. Yeah, they're not going hungry. Yeah, um, and this is something I was going to say earlier when we were talking about Ani as like a sort of savior figure. I did like that. Her becoming princess wasn't just, okay, and now everything's great. She explicitly said the way that the laborers are treated is inappropriate. Yeah. There are peacekeepers that have to keep folks from harming the innocent in the city because the palace guard won't do it. Because your people don't do it. And generally, you are not treating your subjects as you should be. And we don't get explicitly like, we'll change that. But she does successfully shame the king. Into being like, this is not good. Yeah, clearly something needs to shift here. Um, So I appreciate that she's already like approaching the role with the spirit of a reformer. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. She looks at the structure and she sees what needs to change. 
as opposed to just be like, okay, bye guys. I'm princess Princess witch time. (laughs) (laughs) And she gets the um, people of the forest, their javelins so that they can advance in life. And hopefully that's going to be possible for others as well. Yeah. And that wasn't just a special case. Right. Then it's also hard when she is having her lunch in the field, which means not having lunch because they don't have money and don't have time to go back to the main hall. Um, And sometimes a street hawker comes and announces hot meat breads. And they're like, no, (laughs) go away. (laughs) And then Garrick starts bringing her lunch and they eat lunch together in the pasture, which is really, really lovely. It's very sweet. There's also... A beautiful moment given over to Anna making toasty cheese in the fireplace. And to me, there's no better food than bread with cheese broiled in the oven. It's just the best. Yeah. And there's a moment that gets particular description. A dollop of orange cheese dripped off the crust and Anna caught it with her finger, licking it off before she could feel the heat. (laughs) Yum. Nice. Yeah. No, the, the food descriptors were very nice. Uh, lots of good breads, soups, cheeses, eggs. I mean, it's it's delicious. And I'm so happy when she goes back to Gilsa's house and heals up in the forest and they're just like having hearty meals. She has people she can actually talk to about her life. She's not having to hide anything at that yeah. point. It's... um. The book gets a lot gentler as it goes on, for yeah. sure. Even though the geese are gone, as we mentioned. Yeah, that is, that is true. And, and so the final line of the book is about Falada, essentially. Yes. Because yeah. it says maybe she'll be able to, you know, she's envisioning her future and she's like, and she knows that she'll be able to make friends with the stable master and spend time with the horses. And maybe one day when a horse is born, yeah. she will hear its name. Yeah. So like Falada is throughout. He's the beginning and the end. Really. Yeah. The geese go by the way. <laughs> what happens to Jocko? He was sleeping with her every day. <laughs> Jocko definitely doesn't get to come to the palace. And she asks if he's okay after Ungalad comes and tries to kill her in her bedroom and Jocko and his like mates, uh, Goose, are laying in her bed. And they're like, yeah, I think he kicked the gander, but he's hardy. (laughs) Don't worry, your friend is probably not brain damaged. (laughs) So... That was interesting. Yeah. yeah her pa- but, but like the necessity of advancing the plot is such that she needs to move on to her wind power and away mm-hmm. from her animal speech powers. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then there's so much like political intrigue and stuff yeah. that there's just not room to really. But what if a goose had been there in the last fight? I hope that she brings them into the palace. <laughs> like in her sitting room or whatever. It could be a ghost room. <laughs> All right. I, I look forward to the next book in the Bayern series, <laughs> The Goose Room. <laughs> the Goose Room. <laughs> oh, it's good. I'm picturing The Goose Room as some kind of like important. Um, <laughs> the Goose Room. I think of it as like a political thriller. <laughs> the Goose Room. <laughs> Goose Room. By Dan Brown. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. We've made it. I think we've arrived at Badass Lady Meter. Who be a badass lady? I mean, I'm just going to go with Ani. And mine's Celia. Just kidding. Yikes. (laughs) (laughs) 
And Sorry, please go ahead. I just have to give Ani a goose Ani. room. And then <laughs> also a beautiful balcony where that's at the highest place in the castle where she can stand and uh, listen to the wind. That's lovely. Maybe a balcony on the outside of the goose room. My badass lady is Anna, who we haven't okay. spoken about too much, but yeah, she's like I really dope. really really love her. Yeah, um, she is like the first trusted person in Ani's you know teen life. Like she had her dad when she was younger and her aunt, um, but she really hasn't had anyone who she can actually count on for right. so many years. Yeah. And she even tells her the truth about who she is. Right. I think Ani is the first step toward her being able to actually move back toward like setting things right because she goes through a period, Ani, of just needing to needing to hide and recoup and yeah. get over her fear, which is pretty paralyzing. And I get it. I mean, yes, I, she has PTSD. I probably would have spent a lot more time just in the goose pasture and in the workers just quarters. living my life. Yeah. Yeah. It would be tough, but then the war is what really kicks right. everything yeah. off and she's yeah. like, okay, I have to get involved. That's I'm, true. It's it out of necessity. doesn't matter if I'm ready. Yeah. I don't have a choice. All thanks to Tato, the proud little page. Yeah. <laughs> he spills tidbits wherever he goes. Yeah. He's, he's great. Um, yeah. And it's really lovely. She tells beautiful stories and she's just there to be a, a supportive person. Uh, like first friend, yeah, for Ani, yeah, she's um, like what but she's Celia really cool was in her own right. She like pranks the boys um, and uh, like spills a bunch of goop on their heads. Do you remember? That? Yes, <laughs> and she's like very charismatic, and she helps Ani realize that she can have that yeah. too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, my my rating for. Anna is some of Gilsa's seed cakes, which I suspect she's going to be getting because it seems like she and Finn have a little romance. Oh, yeah. They, they touch hands in oh. one minute. Oh. And he also blushes when she tells a story about naked ladies. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that makes me blush too. I blushed as well. Yeah. I'll put that out there. So, yay, Anna. And that is it for our episode on the Goose Girl. Thank you so much for listening. (laughs) Thank you for coming to listen to our goose tale. (laughs) If you made it this far, you got extra special goose sounds. Our next episode, we're so excited. It's our 100th full episode. 100. 100 years of Dragon Babies and 100 more. Um, we have more episodes than 100 if you count our mini episodes, but this is our 100th official. And to celebrate, we are actually going to reread and recover our very first book, which was Sabriel by Garth Nicks. So we're seeing Moggit. <laughs> Yeah, we get some time with Maga, we get some time with the dead, um, some time with the bells and the chilling waters that lead to infinity. (laughs) I can't wait. Yeah, that's my mood. (laughs) 
you know, we've learned so much over these. I mean, we've been doing the podcast for like six years now. Yeah. Um, and it's going to sound a lot better than the first Yeah, episode. if you go back and listen to them side by side. It's uh, pretty funny. Yeah. Um, but we're going to put some cool stuff in there uh, as our revisit and just like some reflections on our thoughts on why I fantasy as a whole and the potting of it all. So we're excited. Yeah. yeah. Come on back and we'll have that soon. It'll be a lot of fun. If you'd like to find us, our website is dragonbabiespodcast.com. Our Instagram is at dragonbabiespodcast. Twitter is at dragonbabiespod. And we'll put up fun stuff, episode bits, and more. Follow us. And I also have an Instagram. It's where I post my art and random stuff. I post pictures of my plants. Just, you know, whatever. It's my account. I choose. It's called Pig and Doodles. I don't know why felt so defensive you don't have to justify it it's fine to have an instagram (laughs) a lot of people do my handle is pig and doodles p-i-g the letter n-d-o-o-d-l-e-s look me up thanks so much for listening i'm grace (laughs) i'm madeline until next time goodbye